Thank you for listening to Data Science at Home podcast with Francesco Gadaleta. You are about to get cutting edge insights from the people who are reshaping the world of technology with machine learning, data science, and artificial intelligence. It's time for Data Science at Home. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home. I'm Francesco, podcasting from the regular office of Leuven in Belgium. In this show, I would like to speak about the horsepower of uh, many uh, machine learning algorithms, that is stochastic gradient descent. We have been speaking about this a number of times in previous episodes. Just go back to the datascienceatome.com website and uh, check the episodes about stochastic gradient descent and optimization. Uh, we have discussed these things in the past, but today I would like to speak about something that I uh, really found interesting and quite disruptive, if I may. That is about how to save computation during a stochastic gradient descent methodology. And so uh, there is a post by Vincent Wormerdan, I hope I pronounce it correctly, probably not. But it's, it's very, very interesting because he started thinking about stochastic gradient descent in, in, in the sense of computational complexity and where all the time is spent uh, during a stochastic gradient descent. Now, what is the descent? In fact, is an optimization technique that comes from algebra that allows one to find the minimum of a function. And why are we interested in that? Is because when you train a machine learning model, a neural network, or even a simple logistic regression, in fact, what you're doing is minimizing a particular function, which is called the loss function. Now, what is the loss function is, uh, in fact, representing the differences between the predicted values and the ground truth. And so you can understand that if that function is minimized, it means that there are very small differences between the predicted values and the, the, ground, the ground truth, which means that the algorithm is working perfectly or well, very or very well. And that means that the algorithm can predict very, very closely to, uh, to, to the real values. And so that's why you want to minimize that function. Now, it happens that in a deep learning setting, for example, these functions are usually very, very complex in the sense that they are high dimensional functions. So the number of dimensions that usually these functions are, are in the, in the realm of hundreds of millions of parameters, if not more. And uh, as you can understand, applying an exact method of optimization or a perfect optimization technique, it's not going to be possible because it's, it's going to be very time consuming and, and sometimes you need an answer in, um, you know, you, you want to make these methods usable from a, a, a realistic uh, point of view. And of course, you cannot be optimizing these functions in an exact way. In many cases, there is not even an exact formula of uh, uh, to find this minima. And there are many other conditions that need to be there. For example, convexity, which is a mathematical property for a function to have a minimum uh, that is also a global minimum uh, that's also important. Many times functions, these loss functions are not convex at all. And so the minimum that you find can be definitely suboptimal in the sense that there might be another point in the neighborhood or even in a different dimensional space uh, that is the real minimum. And so as you can understand, once you, you, know, you can get stuck believing that's the minimum of the function 
and when that's not the case and so you would have a suboptimal optimization technique now the reason of stochastic gradient descent is you know because it allows one to calculate in a decent time uh, and in iterative fashion uh, the minimum of uh, very complex loss functions, which is the, you know, that's why it became, in fact, the horsepower of many, uh, of, in fact, deep learning and many other machine learning techniques. Wherever there is a function minimization, that is most of the time stochastic gradient descent. And what is stochastic gradient descent is a methodology that allows you to calculate the gradient of a function and follow the negative gradient of that function. Now the negative gradient, so the gradient means it's a bunch of derivatives, you know, it tells you basically how is the function changing in different directions, where the directions are determined by the number of dimensions that function is living in. And so the gradient, in, in fact, if you follow the, the negative gradient, in fact, you are uh, moving towards the you know, the valley of, uh, of this very complex surface that is called the loss function. And so if you keep following, if you keep calculating the gradient in the new point, you move of a certain step towards the negative direction, the negative gradient, and, and then you recalculate the gradient in the next point, and you keep doing that over and over until um, you are not longer improving, and this means that you're probably uh, you have probably landed uh, into a minimum or some sort of minimum uh, surface. So this is stochastic gradient descent in a nutshell. Of course, I'm skipping a lot of uh, uh, formal definitions that make stochastic gradient descent a very fascinating uh, subject in uh, in mathematics. But the, you know, the point of this episode is, of course, not to give you an exhaustive explanation of and of the mathematical property behind stochastic gradient descent. It's just to, you know, uh, make the episode as self-contained as possible. Now, there are several flavors of stochastic gradient descent, and we have discussed this in a number of episodes in the past. For example, Adam is uh, one of the most widely used uh, flavor of stochastic gradient descent for some very interesting properties in terms of uh, uh, convergence and how fast this algorithm allows you to converge towards the minimum of a very complicated function, um, and also the computational complexity of this method is also very important because in the back propagation for a deep learning, uh, in a deep learning setting, of course, you would like these methods to be as quick as possible. But now back to the finding uh, by this guy, Vincent Warmerdam, who realized that about 80% of the training loop is in fact spent calculating a gradient. And so, the idea of Vincent is how can we uh, save some time because if I can postpone my calculation of this gradient order, if I can reduce the number of times I need to calculate a gradient, well, then maybe, you know, I am improving on the bottleneck of a stochastic gradient descent algorithm. And this means that, in fact, I am saving time, saving CPU, and uh, definitely getting to the minimum in a faster uh, way, right? The very high level idea is to uh, beat the fact that in a stochastic gradient descent algorithm, you need to start somewhere, then perform a step and repeat that step in the, in the correct direction until you descend towards the goal, all right? And so the number of steps, of course, is determined by, for example, the learning rate, if you ever, ever heard that, probably you, you have, 
if you take any machine learning library, uh, TensorFlow or deep learning library, TensorFlow, Keras, etc., most of the time you have to specify the learning rate of your optimizer. And that's exactly what we are talking about here. So it's the step that you take from the starting point and um, how far uh, you go down the negative gradient. Of course, if you make small steps, um, you are uh, in fact calculating the gradient multi many, many times. But of course, you are also dealing with the fact that you know you slowly get close to the to the goal, closer and closer. So if you decrease this step, in fact, you are dealing with very complex functions where the the gradient can change drastically, and uh, and the goal can in, in fact you know change directions all the time. I mean, it's not that the goal changes direction; it's you change direction because you follow the gradient of the function that is that is complex, and so. Uh, well, complex is a, probably a bad, uh, it, let, let's call it complicated, okay? Um, and so what happens there is like, uh, it, it's that if the function is very complicated, you might be changing directions multiple times. And so if you are using a small step, in fact, you are um, dealing with uh, a higher number of calculations, but also dealing with the fact that the function is complicated and so you can change direction uh, almost instantly. Well, if you take a bigger step, right, it might happen that you go beyond the goal and, and then you probably would never converge because, you know, the algorithm thinks that you will never uh, reach the goal uh, because you just skipped it because the step was too big. And so there is uh, a lot of theory that tells you um, what should this step be uh, there are, for example, steps that can uh, change in time, uh, or there are steps that at the beginning are uh, relatively small and then they become bigger or the other way around. So there are variable, different ways to make a step from the starting point. But, you know, this doesn't change the fact that the more steps you do, uh, the more times you have to calculate the gradient. And the less steps you do, the less times you have to calculate the gradient. And since Calculating the gradient is a quite um, uh, intense operation. Well, if you save time and if you save, if you if you reduce the number of times you are calculating the gradient, well, then you definitely you are definitely speeding up the algorithm of uh, of some orders of magnitude. How can we do this? So, how can we save time uh, and instead of of taking, for example, a hundred steps from the starting point to the goal? And the idea is, well, the question is, can I take just one step, right? If I spend some more time calculating how big this step should be, maybe I can just, you know, avoid the 100 steps that will, will bring me to the goal and just do it once or two times, right? Because if that's the case, it means that I would calculate the gradient only once or twice, why instead of a hundred times that's the goal of this of this uh, methodology and so this means that we need to spend time to understand if we can take a calculated step or not huh? and the author of this uh, article he, he calls it like that like the, he calls the calculated step so there is a step that you usually do according to the learning rate and there is a calculated step this that is an artificial way of saying Look, from the starting point, I'm not going to take a step. I'm going to wait a bit. I'm going to spend some time calculating something 
else and something more because if I spend some time more now I can save time later because if I spend time now I will learn something that allows me to save the 100 steps that I have ahead which means calculating the gradient 100 times. And what is this com computation? Well, this computation is a Taylor expansion. So what is the Taylor expansion? Well, let's start from what you want to calculate. What is this calculated step that you want to calculate? Well, in fact, you want to calculate a function, not in x, but in x plus t, right? Where t is an offset in the, you know, in the next steps, in the steps ahead, and you would like to know an approximation of that function, not in x, but in x plus t. And which mathematical tool allows you to do that? As I said, the Taylor expansion. So the Taylor expansion is an approach that allows a mathematical tool that comes from uh, from algebra. It's a very old thing and, uh, and uh, you know, very mature mathematics here. That basically allows you to represent f in uh, the function in x plus t as uh, an approximation of uh, f of x, so the function in x, plus the first derivative times t, plus the second derivative uh, times t square divided by 2, plus the third derivative, and you know, you, you, you get it, right? Times t cube and so on, divided by 3 and so on. So the Taylor expansion is something that, of course, I will report in the show notes of this episode, but in fact allows you to approximate the function in the future, um, I mean, the future is like in the next steps, by from the function in the previous steps, plus um, the first and the second derivatives or a higher order derivatives. Of course, the, the higher the order, the more intense the computation is, and the closer the approximation is to the, to the real value, right? You know, you, you don't want to focus on something that is extremely exact, because you don't really need that. You just need to understand if you can take a calculated step and uh, if you're good in that direction. So by playing with this, you know, with this, uh, let's say, soft calculation, uh, in fact, you can save a lot of time. Now, in the show notes of this episode, I will also report um, the reference to this article, which is uh, very, very interesting due to the fact that there is a mathematical explanation of what I'm just saying uh, with some derivation uh, blocks that uh, provide a very um, detailed explanation of the mathematics behind this concept and also some code in Python that you can use and plug and play and uh, get the numbers that uh, are claimed in the in the blog post. And that's very interesting because what the author has uh, shown is that in fact in a, for example, in a logistic regression calculation, the gradient descent that uh, is applied usually goes down minimizing the function in a, let's say, exponential way. But in the other case, you know, in the case of the calculated step, it can do the same with just two steps, right? So it spends some time calculating this uh, uh, Taylor approximation, and then boom, you get to the minimum al almost instantly, um, which is incredibly fascinating because this means that you don't need gradient descent anymore, right? Wrong, <laughs> because in fact, this works only for a very small number of uh, 
of variables and dimensions, for example, in the case of the example of a, of a linear regression or logistic regression algorithm. So if you're asking yourself if this stuff works for, you know, generically on, uh, on several machine learning methods, well, definitely not. It's too good to be true, <laughs> though the, the idea is really neat. But what I'm trying to say is that in the case of a linear regression, this works because we had something like you know, a dozen parameters. And so the, the trick works, it's, it's called the Hessian trick that in fact performs the calculation of a Hessian matrix. That worked because the Hessian matrix is quadratic with a number of dimensions. And when you have you know, a dozen parameters, you would have 144, 150 uh, element matrix. And uh, if you have uh, a neural network for, for which you usually have thousands of parameters or, or millions or hundreds of millions of parameters, as you can understand, the quadratic of um, of that now of these very large numbers would not uh, do the trick anymore, and and so you would have a computational complexity that is incredibly high. And so the Hessian matrix would be, for example, already in the realm of uh, millions of parameters when you are dealing with just a few thousand uh, parameters. In addition to this, there is another fundamental reason why this approach would not really indicated for neural networks. It's because Typically, in a neural network context, you do are not really interested in the best performance on a training set, you know, because that would be would lead you to some sort of overfitting. If you are perfectly predicting the the training set, that doesn't really tell the whole story on um, on the testing set or on unseen observations. And so, in the case of a neural network, in fact, what you really want to have is some sort of generalization for which a you know best performance is not really required. And while in this case we you know as we have seen in the in the case of linear regressions or logistic regressions, the algorithm can minimize the loss function pretty you know I'm not thinking exactly, but you know very very quickly and very very accurately. So what are the conclusions about this? Definitely the idea is very interesting, which means that it points out the fact that uh, there is room for improvement when you do stochastic gradient descent or you know stepping algorithms that try to minimize or maximize functions due to the fact that you can uh, decide uh, between two strategies essentially one that tells you keep stepping so if you are in front of an algorithm that is iteratively stepping towards the minimum, like the stochastic gradient descent uh, family of algorithms. Well, the first uh, idea is keep stepping. And so don't stop and recalculate the gradient all the time. Um, the second strategy is at each step, instead of you know moving immediately in, in the direction that you find, uh, just wait a bit more. So spend more time calculating how many steps forward you can go so that you can, in fact, step less times. So these are the two ideas. And now, of course, there are, you know, among these two strategies, in fact, there is no real answer. The best algorithms depend pretty much on the data and pretty much on the, uh, on the loss function, the convexity of the loss function, and so on and so forth. And so it's not something that, you know, can be generalized across domains, across data types, etc. So these are, in fact, two, I would call them hyperparameters on top of which you uh, should be building your optimized algorithm. Did we solve the problem? Definitely not. We just pointed out that there is room for improvement and uh, there are eventually two additional hyperparameters that might uh, help you figuring out if you have to choose one or the second strategy and therefore 
improve or minimize the number of calculations that you need to uh, minimize a function. I hope you enjoyed the show. As always, don't forget to jump on the Discord channel. The address will be published on the show notes of this episode together with references and the links to the blog post that I used for this episode and also some uh, very interesting source code written by the author that is very easy to understand. Well, not so easy, (laughs) relatively easy. Given the theory is something that you can definitely uh, try at home. That's it for today. I'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to Data Science at Home Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new, fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.